Hello, and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan. I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Tanakio, the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. Thanks for joining us for the second episode of Amazing Spider Talk, or is it the 1.1 episode of mm. Amazing Spider Talk? We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Dan, it's 2014, so I'm going to buy into industry trends. So for episode 1.1, we'll be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Learning to Crawl, 1.1, by Dan Slott and Ramon Perez, answering some fan mail, discussing all the spider news that fits the print, and then conclude by discussing the original graphic novel, Amazing Spider-Man Family Business. Sounds like a lot of fun, Mark. If you guys want to skip to a specific section, you can just use the chapter selection arrows on your player. Also, if you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. Mark, it's enough of that sh- spiel that we like to give. Let's get right into it. Amazing Spider-Man Learning to Crawl, number 1.1. <laughs> All right, Dan, Amazing Spider-Man 1.1, Learning to Crawl, the first installment. Um, you know, I think the, the big question, well, I don't know if this really was the big question, but one of the things that I was wondering was, uh, when I heard that Dan Slott and Ramon Perez were going to be doing a uh, flashback miniseries that went back to uh, Spider-Man's origin, was were we going to end up with John Burns Chapter 1 again, or were we going to end up with something more in line with Kurt Busiak's Untold Tales of Spider-Man? And fortunately for all of us, I feel like we're definitely more in line with what Busiak did with Untold Tales. I thought this was a really worthwhile, reverential uh, look at uh, you know, the origin of this great character was written with a lot of love and restraint by Dan. Uh, Ramon Perez's art was a total flashback to Ditko. I-, I thought this was excellent. What did you think? Yeah, this is the kind of stuff I like to see Slot do the best when he actually slows himself down a bit and allows his scenes to really develop, you know, and I feel like I get, I'm get, you know, just by reading this issue, I'm gaining a newfound understanding of Peter and his origin, which is what one of these issues should do, you know? It really fills in the gap for me on something that I think is really important and and fills it in a way that I think is meaningful um, to the character and his relationships with the people in his life. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely seems like, um, you know, in terms of the learning to crawl element here, you know, what is what is Peter going to be learning about? And, And for me, I mean, based on this first issue, my interpretation is is this this whole idea of with great power must also come responsibility. And, and I'd like to point out, um, which will make our good friend of the show, Ron Friends, happy, that Dan Slott was recently on Twitter, and he was pointing out the, the must also come usually gets left out of that statement. So, uh, you know, we have... We have another one who is who is part of the, who's a disciple of the we must also come is important, right, Dan? Yeah, and I think this is maybe the story where he learns how important that must also come is. Like that he can learn the lesson, but then he has to bring it. 
Yeah, because I mean, it's funny, you know, we, we open this comic and it's it's literally right at the end of Amazing Fantasy 15 him walking off into the distance, which I, I was just a great little detail. I loved uh, how the camera reverses direction that he's walking away at the end of Amazing Fantasy 15, but now he's walking towards us. Yeah, very cinematic, right? Yeah, I thought so. Um and um in doing that, um it, it, it's you know, we're still seeing Peter kind of struggling a bit with with who he is and what he's going to do with these powers. I mean, you know, because there are these gaps to fill, I mean, by the time Amazing Spider-Man 1 came out in 1963, which was, uh, wow, what was that was like, what, seven, eight months after Amazing Fantasy 15 came out? Yeah. Um, you know, Peter is still um, struggling. Uh, Peter, at that point, is basically found out that the gravy train for the TV show has come to an end because you know he he can't he doesn't have an ID to cash a check, which I think is just one of those beautiful Stanley Dicko details. Uh, so in this, you know, he's still trying to make the TV thing work. You know, we have the scene with the buzz saws, and you know he, he didn't train for this, and you know then we get these other little details about Uncle Ben's funeral. I mean, like it, it really is kind of closing the gap and making a more complete story. And if I didn't know any better, I would have said that this fit in right in 1962, right? Yeah, and I I want to add on to that that it's you know it, in plot machinations, yes, like you're right, all of the you know the things he's doing, but also in in the way the character develops, it fits right in. You know, you see Peter is still that arrogant guy that he was in Amazing Fantasy 15, humbled a bit, you know. But um, there's a scene with Flash where you see him kind of revert to the almost – it almost gave me a reminder of um, Dr. Octopus in that scene where he kind of turns over his shoulder and he's like, I'll show him you know, now that I'm powerful. You know? And I was like, oh, yeah, like this was what made the ox switch so, so interesting is that they were so similar at one point. And um, you know, it just shows that he's a lot more lessons to learn. And you can also see some of that early kind of like Dicko and Randian – philosophies playing through here, especially at the Ben's funeral and casserole scene. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked that casserole scene. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny. You, you, you talk about the Randian philosophies, and I almost wonder if, if, if Dan Slott is kind of commenting on those being, I don't want to say wrong, but because, I mean, my, my interpretation of the casserole scene uh, was, was more or less like, you know, Peter still kind of being stubborn and, and maybe a bit naive, you know, the, the, you know, he's, he's choking that, you know, Ben gives all these people money and they repay him in, in, in casseroles and, and May's attitude is yes, but these people who, who loved your uncle and, you know, they're all here and that's, what's important. It's that we're all here together. You know, she's smiling at the funeral because she's happy that, you know, that they're surrounded by loved ones. And, you know, that's that's part of the lesson with with great power must also come responsibly for Peter. It's this, you know, it's not always about money. It's not always about these ideas of, you know, that you're not supposed to give to others, you know, like which is kind of a tenant of of Rand of Rand, you know, that one's own personal happiness is paramount to, um, you know, the greater community, you know, the, the moochers, as as Rand would call them in, in, in her her books. Um, and Dan Slott is a pretty liberal guy. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll admit that, you know, as a liberal myself, uh, you know, it, it, it seems a bit like almost like a rewriting of, of history here, giving him this lesson. But I mean, I don't know who could argue against the lesson that he's giving here, even if it is, it does seem maybe not politically minded, but to align with Dan Slott's, I think, uh, worldview, I would at least I would imagine his worldview. 
yeah, as he but, described himself on Twitter. But it is it is definitely funny that to kind of watch the the you know Dick goes, you know philosophies get tweaked a little bit. I mean, you know, I, I felt for the most part when I you know when I go back and reread the original Dick O Lee Ron, you know, the Randy and stuff kind of stays clear until the end, and then it gets really heavy. Yeah, you because know, I think at that point Dicko was just like, you know, f it all. I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna do what I want until Stan until Stan takes over. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. No, I completely agree with you. Like I always remember that scene in '38 with, um, what are those kids protesting? What do they want this time? Those protesters. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, that was kind of random. Um, but um, do you, you want know, to talk so- about the other character we haven't addressed here, which is Clayton Cole? Yeah, absolutely. I was just about to get to that. I, I, I felt I, I, I'm really intrigued by this character. I feel that this is kind of a good. Um, he's not a mirror image of Peter, um, but this idea of another young person who doesn't have the power, doesn't have the responsibility, but is seems to be setting himself on a path to try and be a superhero. It's it's almost as if like uh, like it would it could mirror the comic reader's experience. If we just read Amazing Fantasy 15 and missed the last couple pages, definitely. Like, which is <laughs> which is what this character essentially has done because this character only knows Spider-Man from the TV sensation. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's you know, I I I, I imagine most people who pick this up read you know Amazing Spider-Man number one, but it, the character's characterization really relies on that backup. In, in the first issue, which I thought was really strong as well. But just to see the continuation and the development into this clearly fashioned after Spider-Man, you know, costume that he creates and, and these, uh, the, I guess he gets the hand activated sound devices, which I guess we're going to see what they actually do. But, um, I, I just love the idea that there's a potential danger here for like misunderstanding that our idols might not be who we think they are. And and there's a lot of room for shattered wish fulfillment here, um, and I yeah. think I think that it's kind of almost like a kick-ass kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, but I also think beyond that that, that Clayton is going to be used to advance um, Peter's understanding of power and responsibility because I mean, you know, what, what's what I see inevitably happening is I mean, whatever happens to Clayton, whether he is successful, which is probably doubtful. I mean, I think this is, if this is not going to end tragically, it's not going to end well. I can say that much for Clayton. And and, and Peter's going to feel responsible for that because he's going to see that he, you know, through his hot dogging and, 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 and show offing on TV and stuff that he inspired somebody. It, it's kind of like, you know, are we, are we playing with this idea with, um, that we have today with, with media, not to get political again, you know, is this media, influence uh, our youth to do some of the stupid and often tragic things that our youth have been doing over the last 15, 20 years, you know, the video games, the movies, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if Spider-Man, if Peter sees that he's inspired this kid to do something really stupid or tragic, he's going to feel, he's going to feel responsible for that. It's only going to add to, to his overwhelming guilt complex. Yeah. And these are, these are issues and topics that you don't often see addressed inside of a comic issue. Or not even in Dan Slott's like uh, primary title, I think, like Amazing Spider-Man One. Not that I expect every issue to do that, but it's nice to see him reach into these kind of more sophisticated ideas. And and the comics that I think you and I can probably say we like the most are when uh, you know a comic is you know can be fun and registered as a comic, but it can also like reveal that it has more on its mind um, than what's just printed on the page. 
Yeah, definitely. All right. Now, Dan, I don't want to throw cold water on this whole thing because I really did like this comic a lot. Yeah. But I do want to raise a question. Yeah. So in reading this, in reading Learning to Crawl, I mean, you know, we talked about the little details that were thrown in. I mean, you know, there, there is obviously a huge leap of faith, I think, from the creative team that the person reading this will have already had read the early issues of Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Fantasy 15 because, you know, there's a, they're leaning a lot on, on that information that you know what, what's already happened and what they're filling in. Is this, if this is geared to, like, the hardest of hardcore fans, you know, is, is how relevant is this series going to ultimately be? I mean, you know, because they're not going to be able to change that much about the character because this is, this is flashback stuff, you know, unless they're going to completely destroy and retcon what's already been published, which I don't see them doing. Um, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, what, what is the end game for a series like this? I mean, if, if it's just to kind of talk about minutiae and, and, and fill in these little ideas and, and further illuminate things about Peter and his character, I think that's a great idea, but it's just, it's just, do we really need this series to do that? I mean, I don't know that anything is needed, you know, but, you know, uh, apparently it's setting up a story that's going to take place in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man Current. Um, so we'll see what comes of that. But, you know, if it's a good story, I don't see why it needs to be put through that lens more than anything else. Um, you know, why do we need any more ongoing stories of Peter Parker? Like most things have been pretty well documented or covered you know, in terms of the character. Right. Um, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I guess for me, like, I'm, I'm, I'm also putting this up for comparison's sake against Untold Tales of Spider-Man because I do think that's what it's most closely related to. And, you know, I actually, you know, after reading this, I went back and reread the first issue of Untold Tales. And I felt like with Untold Tales, uh, Busiak, he, he's, he's just as reverential as Dan is, as Dan Slott is, but he takes a few more risks. You know, he brings in some characters a little earlier. You get Captain Stacy uh, in the very first issue and, and talking about Peter's, uh, Peter's relationship with the police. Um, I, I, I just thought that there was more going on that was kind of that set that series apart. And, and, you know, so far in terms of a first issue with learning to crawl outside of Clayton's character, there, there, there wasn't a whole lot of risk taking going on here. It was just, it was just like, oh, you know, Peter, here's a flashback of Peter on TV. Let's give him a couple of scenes with his agent, which, you know, are fun. But, you know, were, were people clamoring to find out what was Peter's relationship with the agent? How did someone, how, you know, how was Uncle Ben's funeral paid for? Again, it was good to see, good to see the interaction, the stuff with May, the casseroles, et cetera. But, you know, and, and I, I know what you're saying about, well, what, then if this isn't needed, then what, what, what could be needed? But, I mean trying to put this under a lens because of the kind of series it is and because of what's been done before it, that's why I want to raise that question. And, and I don't know if there's an answer to it right now, and it's only one issue, but I'm just, I'm just floating that out there. Well, you know, I think you know, Untold Tales is playing in a bit of a safer territory than this one is. Like, this is playing off of Amazing Fantasy 15, which, I mean... Right, I think we can agree it's the holy of holies in terms of comic books. You're right, unless you're John Byrne, then you don't care. <laughs> yeah, man, we've really gone hard on John Byrne. Well, um, but I'm sure he's uh, heard. I'm sure he's heard worse than what we're saying, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're definitely right. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think. I mean, this is playing with the most iconic 
superhero origin possibly, you know, of of all the characters. You know, a little restraint. I would. I'm glad there's a little restraint. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. And I think there are some things done with the characters that I think are truly interesting. I mean, talking about media again, I think the stuff with Jonah was very smart and actually serves to really like um, enrich in that relationship, like all together throughout all personifications of Jonah. Like here, you really, I think it really solidifies like why Jonah might be upset with Spider-Man inappropriately. M- using media. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I do agree. Like I said, I, I just, I'm going to put that out there as the series goes along. It might prove to be a totally irrelevant point, but you know, if, if my initial grade on this seems not low, but a little lower, I'm just, you know, I guess pre providing prior justification. I get it. I, I think a bit of hesitancy is totally uh, accepted here, you know, digging through these, these eras and, and getting into this history can be really dangerous stuff. You can go ask John Byrne about that. <laughs> there he is again. Yeah. Um, any, anything you want to add about Perez's art? I loved Perez's art. I think, you know, sure, uh, you know, comics have changed a lot over the years. Inking is very different um, in that a lot of it's done digitally. The colors here are obviously digital, although they are scaled back, but they're still far uh, – more numerous than what Dicko had, you know, and, and the colorist then had to work with. To me, this is like, you know, if you had to bring Dicko into the 21st century here, I mean, this guy nailed it. Uh, what do you think? Oh, I, I, I agree completely. I, it just, you know, I, I, I kind of liked that the the level of, of penciling and inking detail wasn't as overindulgent. I don't want to say overindulgent, but you know what I mean? It wasn't as detailed as we have. Now, I mean, they 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 kind of left things a little looser. I felt, but but there were still enough embellishments that we, you know, you could look at this and know that it was a 21st century comic. You know, it's like you said, it more it, it looked like the evolution of like the Dicko and Kirby style. Yeah, but it's still, you know, as as Ron was talking to us last episode, um, it's still graphic enough. It doesn't feel like it's trying to catalog real events more than it is representing them. And I like I like that the the full page spreads of him like spinning around the like ball that he's shooting with his web, you know, is very sparse in detail, but gets across everything you need to know about that scene in a beautiful and and simple way. Um, definitely, definitely. What did you think uh, about the whole like um, appropriation of like modern and and sixties uh, like garb and and utilities? It seems like almost only Clayton. Is the one utilizing like uh, I'm guessing this is supposed to be the late '90s um, or early 2000s? Well, thir- thirteen years ago. So, so there you go, early 2000s. He's got like what, like a Zune or something? Yeah. <laughs> well, so, well, well, we had iPods by then, right? I, don't I guess remember. so. He's got something, but what what did you think about that in this issue? I mean, again, I, 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 I let's see how it's used. I mean. It didn't – I think because so much of this felt nostalgic that when these newer things came into it, it did feel a touch jarring. But, you know, let's get into the flow of this series and see if that's a mistake or if that's a good thing, you know? Yeah, I think it's interesting. It didn't really distract from me too much, but it was yeah. it's an interesting choice. Yeah, definitely. So, Mark, what's your uh, review for this issue? 
Um, I'm going to give this a B plus, Dan. Great. I'm giving it an A minus. I really enjoyed it. Very good. Well, well, you know, definitely looking forward to more of this series. And and you know, like I said, I I I, I remain optimistic with a little bit of of caution, which I think is I think is a fair assessment, right? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So why don't we get to some comments and emails? Okay, everybody. So um, with comments and emails, this is the point of the show where we, we read what you write to us, either uh, your reviews and ratings on iTunes and now on Stitcher, where you can find us. Uh, if you're going to leave us a comment, please uh, just search on us in either of these two services on Amazing Spider Talk or just on Spider-Man. We come up pretty quickly enough. Uh, in terms of email, you can reach us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. So this first comment is from Trapped. Uh, NMO, so he's trapped in Missouri uh, we're, we're thinking here uh, 5 out of 5 stars, the title is Amazing, it's just that, and Trapped Rights Great show, well-informed discussions From fans that know the history, both good and bad And objectivity to see where it's headed Attention paid in full to both Artwork and storyline Casters have great sense of humor, easy to listen to Highly recommended Well thanks for Trapped, we hope you escape I guess sometime soon Yeah, if you want to escape, otherwise Stay where you are and be happy all right, the next review comes from Blaney Days. I don't know, maybe his name is Blaine. Uh, and he writes, very good podcast, four out of five. While a bit too formal for my taste, Amazing Spider Talk does bring an informed, knowledgeable perspective on Spidey. Dan and Mark definitely know their stuff about the webhead, and they're able to dissect the books in a way that I don't think is present on other Spidey shows. My only criticism would be that they need to lighten up a bit. They're far too polite and formal on the show, and it's okay to get wild and crazy once in a while. That would be my only criticism of the show. Other than that, great show. What, what Blady doesn't realize is I am totally podcasting with no shirt on right now. <laughs> I'm going to put in, like, bleep bloops and other spring noises throughout the show. <laughs> but I guess he, do, he doesn't like our Carly slide whistle. I guess we just need to be some wild and crazy guys, right, Dan? Oh, my God. That might be too dated for this. <laughs> well, hey, Spider-Man teamed up with the cast of Saturday Night Live, so there's something to it. And the cast of Saturday Night Live read or wrote a Spider-Man uh, issue. That's right. That was the Halloween issue, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Man, anyway. we, we sounds like we're sticks in the mud. I don't know. Maybe some of these other uh, uh, reviews will validate us. Hold on, let me let me get my pocket protector out so I can read this next one. Uh, this next one is by Amazing Corey B. Five out of five stars, and Corey B. writes, "Amazing podcast, very informative and not boring. This is one of the most entertaining podcasts I listen to. Keep up the good work." Well, which is it? Are we boring or are we fun? Um, well, Corey, well, to be fair, we were not considered boring. We just need to lighten up. Oh, you're right. Okay. Sorry. I feel like I'm misrepresenting Blaney days. I need, I need to take a chill pill. It's not, it's not, it's not about boring. It's, 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 you know, maybe, maybe we need to drop a few F-bombs. Dan, I think it's all about Roberto Ramos's boobs. Oh, people aren't happy that I, that I'm upset about the boobs. We need bigger boobs, Dan. I don't know. I got this great image from uh, our good friend Zeke on Twitter. He sent me a, uh, about Ra- Ramos's boob overindulgence. 
Uh, I'll put it in the podcast window right now. So there you go. We're fun. All right. So our next one comes from Geonon. It's called Amazingly Superior, five out of five. And he writes, or she, I don't know. Geonon could be anybody. That's why we're too formal, Dan. It's okay. See, look at this. <laughs> I'm falling back into my uh, my really bad habits. Okay. Well, this person writes, I spent the $20 to become a member because Superior Spider Talk was so excellent. Just finished listening to episode one of Amazing, and it lived up to, to the predecessor. I love the disagreement the past couple episodes. While they are still respectful, it's great to see two respectable spider yeah, opinions being bantered back and forth. Would love to hear more about your take on Ultimate Spidey, especially with the relaunch. Keep up the great work. You guys are worth the follow on Twitter and Facebook, too. All around great program. Recommend all comic and Spidey fans. Well, Dan, Chasing Amazing, for the first time in our three-year history, has started writing about Ultimate Spider-Man. So maybe this is something we could explore at some point. I don't know if I'm ready to talk about it in podcast form yet, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, one, this show is enough to, to, to then cover Ultimate uh, trust me, I would love to talk about Ultimate, but um, you can read the stuff on both of our sites. You know, uh, we have I have a great um, reviewer, Brian Jacob, who's doing the stuff on my site, and I agree with all of his reviews. So, if you want my opinion, you pretty much can go and read his. Although I might be even more favorable of it because I'm a sucker. There you go. Well, I, I, I obviously I like Miles Morales enough that I'm ready to put him on my website. So even though he's not amazing and I'm not chasing him. So, uh, anyway, our last comment is from, uh, Jameson Clark, uh, five out of five stars writes, totally radical, got into podcasts for this specific show. And it's totally rad. I am an entomologist and listening to your intelligent discussion on my favorite comic book is perfect in more ways than one. While I experiment on insects, I, I, is is this our first uh, true scientist uh, listener, Dan? I'm not sure. I don't. I'm, I don't know. We even asked for jobs before, but this this made me smile when I read this. This the idea that someone is possibly experimenting on insects while listening to the show is. Uh, you never know what people are doing when they're listening. You know. <laughs> you never know. Well, uh, let's let's leave it at that, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about some email, Dan? What do we have here? All right, we got our first email from Charles Kendall. Actually, our first and only email from Charles Kendall, and um, he actually poses a really good question. And uh, the question is: So uh, he's you know been buying all these books di- and, and using the digital copies, you know, and he likes that they don't bend the pages, you know, on the iPad unless he's bending his iPad, which would be quite a feat. <laughs> Um, but he asks, uh, does removing the digital copy sticker to reveal the code devaluate the value of the book? I feel like I need to buy two copies of all my favorite books so I can put one away and use one for the code. But this is way too expensive. Thanks a lot, guys. Mark, wh- what do you think about this? Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've actually had this discussion with myself because, you know, I could talk to other people in my house about it, but I don't think my wife and son would care about it. Um, <laughs> you're, I can see your your young son really getting into this discussion. My young son just will would eat the comic books, so uh, <laughs> you know, regardless of the codes. But I have thought about this because you know, you you are taking a piece of the comic out. You're, you're it's like you know, you hear about these uh, our uh, our good friend Longbox Graveyard. He he has on his podcast a whole episode about the Marvel value stamp and he cut out his Marvel value stamp out of the back of uh, Hulk 181 
which is the first appearance of Wolverine. So he has a totally devalued first appearance of Wolverine because he cut out a value stamp. Uh, with that said, these code stickers, I mean, they don't actually, they don't disrupt the story. They don't rip the page. They don't. It, so there's that. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it, it probably it probably devalues it somewhat, but not considerably. Because when you look at like the grading system, especially like at like some of the silver age issues, um, there is some forgiveness for um, flaws that um, were just kind of like part of the industry and, and, and the, the, the consumerism of the comics back in the day. Like, you know, you were, you're allowed to have um, in pencil uh, a date stamp on a comic that doesn't devalue it, even though there's writing on the cover, you know, I mean, so that's, I have a couple of those. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I, I actually, I got schooled by a vendor once because I was trying to argue, you know, he had this beautiful copy of ASM 59. That's the first MJ cover with her. So, Hey, I'm going to loosen up MJ looking kind of, kind of hot in her little go-go boots on the front cover. You know that one, right Dan? Oh yeah. She looks great. Yes. Excellent. With not, but she doesn't have Ramos boobs anyway. Uh, I, I, I went to negotiate this comic with him and he was, he was marking it as a, a very fine and it was a very fine except it had the pencil marking on it. And I was like, Oh, but that's, as drawing on it. So, you know, that's, that's going to be at least a fine or a very good. The guy just laughed at me. He's like, you're allowed to have that. And, and he even like pulled out like his, his CGC guy or not a CGC guy's overstreet guide and like showed me. I'm like, all right, all right. I'll buy it because this is a really good-looking comic. <laughs> and it was a good price regardless. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to own it up to that. It's going to, you know, that these, these things maybe, you know, it's not going to be near mint if you take the sticker out, but I don't think it de- truly devalues it. Yeah, and near mint books are hard enough to come by. But then you have to think, Mark, that with everybody reading these digitally now, there's got to be so few of them without that torn off. That there's got to be some guy out there that's like, yeah, I want the ones with the code still sealed. I guess yeah. I just made that guy sound really creepy, but like, yes, yes, I yes. need, I need all the unredeemed code books. I don't know why that would be like a particular like value to you, but I, I don't know. The people like crazy things. And then I guess, the, 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 but then the big question is: Okay, so we're we're haggling about all this, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because I'm not selling my books, Dan. No, me neither. I I mean, but this is this is for Charles here. He wants to know. But yeah, no. like, I, I buy my books to read them. In fact, I think tearing off the code keeps them in better value for me because I'm not tempted to dig back into my long box to pull them out. You no, know, and, and uh, yes, I know we're answering this for Charles, but I just want to point out the fact that you know. I think as a collector, you know, we're, we're people consider us to be serious collectors, but you know, we're telling you, hey man, enjoy your comics. You know, like that's not don't, you know, unless unless you really think that buying, you know, an extra copy of Superior Spider-Man twenty eight is going to put your kid through college, and P.S. it won't. Uh, don't worry about it. Enjoy your comics. I don't think you know. I don't think you're going to like reduce the value in half or anything like that. So just roll with it. Yeah, I got my um, Amazing Spider-Man number 50 signed by Stan Lee and John Romita and didn't get it CGC graded like when I had that done. And people like want to kill me for that because it would definitely have sealed in the value to get the signatures uh, you know, authenticated. 
But I don't really care. It's not for me to sell. It's for me to own. I don't need to spend that extra money. And my collection has been really based around that idea. Like, I'm going to get these issues for me, and that's, that's kind of why I'm doing it. Sounds good to me, Dan. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the, our donations and subscription section. So now is the time of the show where we thank all of the wonderful people who have decided to donate some of their hard-earned money to the show and have opted to join the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. This week we would like to welcome new members in Brad Prosciutto, Alton Labreck, and Ryan Bondi. It's also time for our members to get their rewards. Remember, each episode we assign a member a number and randomly decide who gets what free digital comic from us. All of this episode's winners can email us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com to receive the codes of the comics that they win today. So first up, uh, New Warriors 1 and 2, uh, the winner for this, these books is James Winstead. Congratulations, James. Yeah, good, good job, man. Thanks for joining our club here. The next one up is for Superior Spider-Man team-up numbers 11 and 12, and those go to member Brad Pursuto. So thanks for joining. You're already winning stuff. Yeah, and then we have Amazing Spider-Man number one, which uh, goes to good friend Thomas Aiello. So I hope you enjoy that. I'm sure you already own it, but you can give it to a friend. And then Original Sin number one to our good friend Alton LeBrec. Oh, good. Well, I hope you enjoy it, guys. Those are all of our winners uh, for this week. Remember, if you'd like to become a member of the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club and help support our show, please go to our site and click on the giant button that reads... Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. Why did we name it that, Mark? I don't know. <laughs> it, it's $20 a year. That's about 60 cents a show. And for every $20 you donate, an additional year will be added to your membership. Yeah, and you can also find the uh, link to that page on Chasing Amazing on the left-hand side of our banner. Just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, and, you know, if you want to ask, uh, what do you get for joining our membership? You get tons. Members will be entered into a raffle every show for free digital comics and Spidey Slag like, like we just did. Uh, we'll also be recording listener-requested content that could be reviews of comics that you request or topics you want to be addressed by us. So uh, the only way to request something is to become a member. So what are you doing? Head on over to our pages and click on the button now and become a part of the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, the most long-winded club title this side of the Marvel Universe. All right, Dan. Uh, why don't we get to some spider news? <laughs> Uh, super, super quick here. Uh, Dan, just when you thought he was out, somebody pulls him back in. In August, the return of Superior Spider-Man. Were you shocked by this announcement, Mark? Not really. No, no me neither. Me neither. I, let me correct. I am shocked that... They're bringing him back, and they're actually going to continue the numbering at number 32. Yeah, I thought that was a little strange, but I guess it's maybe it's an easier sell or something like that. I, I don't know. Do you think this is going to eventually like lead 
to some kind of ongoing because the idea is right. It's those nine hours that he was missing in issue. What was it? Nineteen. In nineteen, yeah, when he disappears during the Horizon Lab explosion. I always um, figured we'd get that answer, but you know, he's going to what twenty ninety nine. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's a prelude to, um, to Spider-Verse, so, you know, it might be premature to speculate on that right now until we see what actually happens. I mean, you know, Otto might end up playing a very huge role in Spider-Verse, but we wouldn't have any insight into that right now because we just don't know enough about the event yet, so. What do you, what do you think? Uh, is this going to be how they get Otto to come back to life? If he died? I think the character is popular enough that they're going to find a way to get him back, and this makes sense. So, as long as Peter is still around and it's not, we're not dealing with a superior status quo again. I'm fine with it. I mean, I know uh, Bleeding Cool, which has been like trying to sell this idea of Matt Fraction on a Spider-Man title for about two years now. I think uh, um, <laughs> they were speculating, oh, put Superior Spider-Man in 2099 as a, as its own series, so it's Superior Spider-Man 2099, and have Matt Fraction write it. I mean. You know, maybe that's a direction this can eventually go, depending on what happens in Spider Verse. But the fact of the matter is, there there is there is definitely a groundswell for this character to come back in some form. I think people want Peter still, but um, you know, people want to see Otto as Spider Man again. They liked it too much. And it does seem an odd fit for Matt Fraction, though. Yeah, I don't see this Matt Fraction thing. I think I think. Um, What's his name over at Bleeding Cool? Is uh, Rich Johnson's got to let it go. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, maybe this will be like his white whale. I, I guess, I, I'm telling you, man. It's like every other month I see the Matt Fraction rumor that and Kevin Shinnick is going to write something again, and which I would welcome in both instances. But I just, you know, until you know, we've we've had all this other stuff coming out. You know, we're we're getting 2099 in July. We're getting. Uh, these two issues in August, and then we got Spider-Verse, which is probably going to open up uh, so many other opportunities for Spider-Man books, its own miniseries. I don't, under- I don't see where another book is going to come into this. I really don't right now. I'm, my wallet is already exhausted. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about five, six Spider-Man books a month in, in, in a matter of months. That's going to be a little bit too much for me. And the creative teams on this new book, it seems like uh, Dan Slott, Christos Gage are writing them, and uh, Common Coley's doing the first issue, and Adam Kubert is doing the second one. Adam Kubert, wasn't expecting that name, but that, that should be fun. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of um, my wallet being exhausted, uh, <laughs> looks like Amazing Spider-Man Volume 3 Number 1 has uh, sold a record-breaking number of issues. Yeah, 532,600. Dan, did you buy any of the variants? I bought one of them. Which one? I bought the Marcos Martin upside uh, down one. Same one I got. That was yeah. the, it was the only one I was going to splurge for. I had an opportunity to get the uh, Alex Ross one, but the the store the store wanted 200 bucks for it. Uh, my, was, my guys only wanted 50, so Yeah, well. And and the thing was my my, my place was so, you know, gave me a fair price on the Martin one. I think they sold it for like 30 for me. Oh, I got it. I got it for five bucks. Okay, well now I don't like you at all. <laughs> it pays to uh, not live in New York City. Oh my say. goodness! Oh my goodness! I also got the Scotty Young variant because it's Scotty Young. You got to get your baby Spider Man, right? Yeah, and I know that one of our listeners is going to get a tattoo of that. There you go. <laughs> so send us a picture. There you go. Please, please. Um, but yeah, so- it's the it's the hottest selling comic in what over ten years. Yeah, well, yeah, because it surpassed the Obama issue, so um, which at that point had been the best-selling issue of the past ten years. So 
Good for you, Spider-Man. That's a lot of money. I mean, at the price point, that's several million dollars in um, in uh, monies. Yes, yes. What is, uh, the, what is the money unit that we're using? Uh, dollars? Oh, yes. Yes. I, I, I mean, you know, maybe in some areas it's pounds right now or euros, but um, I'm pretty sure it's dollars still. Well, there you go. So uh, congratulations on that, Dan Slott and, and Humberto Ramos. You guys knocked it out of the park with this. All right, so then why don't we use that to segue into our review of the original graphic novel, Amazing Spider-Man Family Business. Spider-Man Family Business. I, Dan, I, I thought this was a great use of the original graphic novel format because it was very standalone-ish, but there was also some elements that, you know, and some ideas that could be uh, integrated into the main status quo. Um, what did you think of this story? Yeah, I liked its cinematic feel and the idea, you know, that it was willing to take risks with the character. Um, you know, how it's not often that we see a Spider-Man story happen in New York, Monaco, Cairo, and Switzerland, or ever that we see a <laughs> Spider-Man story do that. So, like, it felt like it was a special enough idea and story that it deserved its own thing, you know. And uh, and so that was fun. Yeah, and I mean, they brought in an all-star cast of creators here with Mark Wade, James Robinson, Gabriel Diato, Um and I thought they all really brought their game. I mean, this is—I thought the script was really tight. I really enjoyed. What Wade, Wade and Robinson put together, and the art—I mean, the art was just phenomenal. The the the, the, the painted skate landscapes and everything, and and using all these venues, the Monaco, the 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 the, uh, the casino scene. I mean, these this book was beautiful, Dan. Yeah, for me, that is the draw of, of this book is purchasing that art, and um and looking in the back of the book to see Deladero's layouts. You know, you can see. That there's a lot of great ideas in the layouts, but how much Del Otto, if you compare it with the final page, like how much life he just breathes into this work. Uh, Mark, did you notice the little hidden Steve Wacker in this book? No, I did not. Where was that? One of the guards that's webbed up in the casino that's uh-huh. like screaming is Steve Wacker. And good I, for that. I laughed when I saw it. That, you know, I, I gotta, now I got to go back and look at it, so that's good. It gives me a reason to open up that book again. Um. And I got to say, from a plot standpoint, so this book had a very kind of Bourne identity, Jason Bourne feel to it. In fact, Peter even makes a joke about it. Um, you know, they played up a lot of the uh, Peter's parents as shield agents, angle and story. Um, and I got to tell you, it actually they actually made me care about that storyline um, for the first time, I think, ever. I mean, certainly more than the, the recent Amazing Spider-Man 2 movie did. Um, you know, it was... It was fun in how different it was. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know that I agree that this script is really tight or like that well plotted. I think it's got some great moments in it. But um, in terms of the mystery element, I thought it was pretty self-evident from like the get-go what the reveal of the mystery would be. 
And I think that took a lot of the tension out of the book for me. And once you've read it once and you reread it, knowing like confirmation on how everything is working out, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, you know, the character's actions, like these people kidnapping Peter, but then relying that he would get in the car with his sister. It's almost as if they know Peter is Spider-Man, even though we know that they don't. Um, it just seems kind of odd. Um, and like, it's kind of trying to get you to these locations and finding ways to, uh, to get us there. Actually, I think very similarly to Amazing Spider-Man 2, although I think tighter plotted than that movie. Um, I, I mean, I see what you're saying. I mean, I guess I guess I was more forgiving of it because I, I, I mean, I did like the pacing, I did like the mystery element, and even if the the reveal with with Peter's sister uh, was was kind of obvious from the get go, um, I felt the script made me really like the character. Um, I liked Teresa Parker. I, 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 you know, and I liked her enough that I actually kind of felt a little sad about the reveal because I kind of want to see her again. Um, I, I, I just. I don't know. There was something that that I connected to with the character in terms of who she was. Um, well, I mean, the very, the very ending implies <clears throat> that we might there might be more to tell about her. Although uh, I am of the belief that they will never give Peter a sister, and that that ending is just kind of like I don't know. I didn't love. It. I thought it was kind of a cop out. It's like, hey, we made a choice, or maybe we didn't make a choice about this character. But like, I can't ever imagine someone else picking up this dramatic beat or reintroducing this character i I don't know it it felt like a stinger that was unnecessary i hear you i hear you um you know i I, and i guess in terms of you know the the plausibility of the plot i mean i just kind of took it as i mean you know wade and robinson are the first two creators to really tackle this idea of what does it actually mean for peter's parents to be shield agents i mean what is that what is that introduced for peter as a person and you know so you know if this was if this was you know the child of nick fury or something i think you know we would be we we would accept that there would be all these like kind of suspensions of disbelief to get a character in a certain situation because that's kind of the world that these people live in yeah and i i i think in this this book particularly i was willing to give it leeway because the art is so great like do i think that Peter's father should be like the the biological match that releases a sleeper, you know, agent um, onto Cairo. Mm. No, not really. But uh, it was so beautifully drawn and painted. Like I'm willing to give it a bit of a benefit of a doubt, and it, I guess it's well enough explained away. Um. So, Dan, I got to tell you, one of my favorite parts of the book was the uh, casino sequence, which was um, Monte Carlo, I believe. I mean, that to me, to me, that's that scene is the selling point of this book. I mean, that was that was one of the best scenes I've seen in a Spider-Man comic period in a really long time. I just loved the humor, the pacing, the plotting. Uh, Cyclone shows up. Um, I mean, what what about you? Yeah, I loved it. And, And I've actually gambled at the Monte Carlo Casino. And that's not a joke. Um and uh, seeing it again in the comic was really like a joy, and man, like just watching those winds whip around and the reveal of Cyclone, I don't think I've ever said that I was like in my life that or ever have been excited to see Cyclone, and here I was like, yeah, and seeing Spider-Man uses smarts to take him down, I, this is a great Spider-Man moment. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Superior Foes of Spider-Man has definitely uh, made us a little more excited to see the the D-list rogues gallery, right? Hey, there's there's a lot more room to be explored with them. And, you know, I think they were D-list for a reason because they were written kind of sloppily. But maybe you get a new, fresh, talented writer on it, you can really breathe life into these guys. Not yeah. that I thought that Cyclone's plight was particularly moving or that interesting, but the rendering of him and how Spider-Man handled it I thought was really fun. Yeah, it wasn't the character. It was all about the story itself. I mean, you know, story was served over character, but I was okay with it, Dan. Yeah, I, I did enjoy watching Peter overturn a gambling table in a tux. That's yes. really good. Yes. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's those little details that just really made it a fun scene. Um, I, I will say I would have liked to see more of Kingpin. I felt that um, considering this was the first we saw of Kingpin since his disappearance in Superior, and they even referenced that. Um, I don't know. I would have liked to see him physically have more of a presence in this story. Am I am I reaching here, Dan? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think there's some nice moments here with him at the end when they're fighting in the desert. I thought that was a well-rendered fight. Um, I'm curious to know about the whole like identity situation, although I can't imagine that they would let Kingpin wander off into the desert with Peter's identity intact. Uh, Cause I thought that that was a little up in the air, right? It's a little ambiguous. Whether yeah, or not I mean, was fried. yeah, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, what, what's going to stick and what's not going to stick in terms of status quo and continuity. Um, obviously Kingpin having Peter's identity would be kind of a whoa moment. Um, but if Kingpin's still stuck overseas because he's afraid of, um, you know, he's trying to fake his own death, and does it matter? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but I also don't know that they would re- have the kingpin learn his identity in a graphic novel. Um, well, graphic they novels Ned, have been they, handled off and on, you know, over the they, years. They killed Ned Leeds in a graphic novel. That is true. They did. Um, so you never know. <laughs> Let's not get you deeper into that hole again. What do no. you think about the um? The characterization of Peter, like I thought he was really funny in this, but there are some like strange moments like him trying to pay for his bills at a laundromat. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, but I think the, the the humor was there, which was important, especially. I mean, keep in mind, this this came out um, before Superior had wrapped up. So it was just kind of nice to to return to that, you know, and, 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 and have a comic with Peter in it and, and uncomplicated. I mean. It was a complicated story, but, you know, not, not Peter with someone working his brain, you know? Um, so, so maybe I kind of forgave some of the weirder character moments because of that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, anything else you want to talk about on this, Dan? I don't know. Really, I just want to say bravo again to Del Otto and Del Adera for their art because, like, every scene, they, like, made it more complicated for themselves. Like, not only is Spider-Man, like, fighting in an awesome car sequence at the beginning, it's in the pouring rain, you know? Um, the, the, the chips in the casino, the desert, the, you know, the dust, everything is way more complicated than it needs to be. The lighting in the, in the Parker's house with the fire, everything is so dramatic. The reflections, like, I noticed this just looking at it. Peter, like, landing on the car in a Spider-Man suit and seeing the reflections washed away by the rain in the glass. Like, wow. What stunning stuff, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Well, Dan, what's, what's your grade on this? I enjoyed it a lot. I'm giving it a B. I, I, I seem to enjoy it a little more than you. I'm actually going all the way up to A- on this. Well, great. I can't argue with that. It was fun.
Okay. So, so Dan, why don't you take us home? All right. You can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts in our archives at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please leave a rating and comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll read it on the air. And that also goes for our Stitcher community as well. We'd love to get some comments there as well. If you have any opinions on these comics or graphic novels or any questions, please email them to us at amazingspidertalk at gmail.com and we'll address and read them on the air. Yeah, and be sure to check out our Facebook pages at facebook.com slash superiorspidertalk and facebook.com slash chasingamazing because these are great places to keep up with us in between shows as we put up articles we've written, breaking news, etc., etc. Just just use those pages, talk to us, like us, do the whole thing. You won't regret it. And also, don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club that helps support our show. So, Mark, where can we find more of you on the Internet this week? Yeah, you can find me at www.chasingamazingblog.com or on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. Or uh, find my top ten lists about comics and comic book movies at whatculture.com. And you can find my, my column about 90s gimmick comics at Comics Should Be Good at Comic Book Resources. And Dan? You can follow me on Twitter at, at @dangavazdan or follow my personal webpage at dangavazdan.com. You can read all of my Spider-Man stuff at superiorspidertalk.com or follow me on Twitter at suppspidertalk. And you can read all of my movie reviews at grindmyreels.com, where I should have a review for the new Godzilla and an upcoming review for the new X-Men movie that I got a sneak preview pass for. So uh, be sure to check those out. Oh, I can't wait for that. Well, Dan, in the meantime, before we check out all your movie reviews and and all of your great Spider-Man content and mine as well, let us remember the fine, fine words of the dear Uncle Ben. With great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. Spider talk.